Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. Well, good morning, church. Uh, wherever you're joining us uh, today, whether you're at our Bolton site or you're checking us out online through our podcast, a uh, big welcome to you. My name is Cam, if you don't know who I am, and I've been part of the Vaughn site for about the past year or so, uh, and I've been interning here uh, as part of my fulfillment for my uh, degree. Been at Ambrose the last three and a half years before coming out here, uh, working towards a youth ministry degree, and sad to say that my time here is coming to an end, uh, but I'm so thankful uh, just for you guys inviting me and allowing me just to learn here. And so, uh, you may know, you may not know, uh, I am an Alberta boy. I am kind of born and raised uh, in Calgary, and I'm proud to say that I am a Calgary Flames fan. I'll let you guys say your boos right now. Uh, and so, my whole family, we're all born and raised Albertan, uh, except for my dad. And my dad, he's actually from Toronto, he's an Ontario boy, and because of that, he is a Leafs fan. And so since my mom, she's not big into sports, uh, she would watch a little hockey, only if her favorite player was playing, which was me. Uh, but if it was, we're watching the game at home, my dad had all control. And so it was always the Leafs got priority. And so I grew up uh, watching the Leafs. I grew up watching Sundin, Domi, Caberlet, and my all-time favorite, Cujo. You know, my dad, he would buy me Leaf jerseys, Leaf hats, I had the, the Maple Leafs mini sticks. Uh, and so I, I was a, a Leafs fan at one point in my life. But I was just getting older, you know, grade one, grade two, and started going to school. I questioned, like, why, why am I cheering for the Leafs? All my friends, they're Calgary fans. You know, I'm a Calgary boy. Like, I should be cheering for the Flames. And right during this time, my dad ended up getting tickets to a Flames game uh, where the Leafs were in town. And so whenever the Leafs were in town, uh, which was about every other year, my dad would try hard to get tickets. And he got three, so... Me and my brother uh, were invited to go with them. But before we went, about an hour or just before I was about to hop into the car, I stood in my room with my first ever identity crisis. I stood there with a Leafs jersey in one hand and a Flames jersey in the other, and I had no idea which one to wear. And after a few minutes, I made up my mind. I chose my team. This was going to be my team of the future. And I chose to put on the Flames jersey. So I threw it on over top, ran downstairs, hopped in the van, and we headed out uh, to the saddle, saddle Dome to watch the Flames. And as I got there, I was so surprised. There was blue jerseys everywhere. Like, you Ontarians are everywhere. Either these guys were the smart ones who decided to move out west, or they found out it was cheaper to get round-trip tickets and, uh, and tickets to a Flames game than going, trying to go to see the Leafs live at the ACC. But regardless, it didn't seem like a home game for the Flames. But we got to our seats, and a few minutes later, these ladies um, got to their seats right in front of us. And as they were getting to their seats, they noticed uh, me and my brother and my dad, and they noticed that we were the same family. But my brother and my dad were both wearing Maple Leaf jerseys, and they noticed I was the odd one out. So they sparked some conversation, they asked me, hey, like, what's going on? Um, kind of explained everything, and they were like, hey, Cam, like, we were going to be... Uh, cheering with you. We'll make sure that your brother and your dad uh, don't make fun of you too much or don't get onto you, onto you too much. And so we did this and it was about the mid-late second period and the Leafs, they're winning like 2 nothing. 
and it's not looking good. I don't have any faith that the Flames are going to win and pull back um, to win this game. And so I started complaining. I was grumbling. I was like, man, I wore the wrong jersey. I could have been cheering for the Leafs, but I wasn't. And so during the middle of a play, uh, I look down both sides of the row, make sure no one's looking at me, and I rip off my Flames jersey. And underneath, I had worn my Leafs jersey. So I take off the Flames, and I stand up, and I start cheering for the Leafs. And then at the next whistle, these ladies, they turn around, do like a little double take. They're so confused what just happened. But I act like nothing had happened at all. Uh, regardless, at the end of the game, um, game came to a close, and the Leafs, they had won. And so I'm walking out of the, of the arena, and these Leaf fans, they're cheering. I'm trying to cheer. They're giving me high fives. But inside of me, I, I couldn't actually fully celebrate because I knew this wasn't my team. I knew I came here wearing a Flames jersey, and I had allowed my grumbling to change my allegiance. But it didn't fix the problem. And so we can allow our grumbling to shape our perspective, to change our actions even. But it won't fix the solution, or the situation, sorry. It might actually make it worse. So I've used this word grumbling a couple times now. And like, what do I actually mean by that? Uh, it's these unchecked complaints. Grumbling is unchecked complaints, complaints that fester, complaints that result in no action, uh, complaints that stick around for a long time, and it creates a discontent. Uh, discontentment in our lives, which can cause envy, quarreling, tensions, jealousy, and even bitterness. And these things can start off small. Just think of the everyday. You know, maybe you wake up and your alarm goes off and you're already complaining. You're already grumbling because you got to wake up early uh, to go to work. And then you have a cold shower or you run out of cereal, run out of eggs, run out of coffee. Then you got to wait in line for coffee maybe at the store, uh, at Tim's, at Starbucks. Uh, and then you're stuck in traffic, you can't find a parking spot, you got to deal with coworkers, a boss, a bunch of meetings, uh, fix a bunch of work, whatever it is. And then on your way home, you're stuck in traffic again, you got to come home, make dinner, do dishes. And when you're finally about to relax, you sit down, turn on the TV, turn on Netflix, you find out that too many people are on your account. Right? There's so many little things each day that we can complain about, uh, which can lead to grumbling over time. But some things are actually bigger. Maybe you've been passed over for promo promotion. Maybe not once, maybe twice, three times. And you just don't feel valued at your job anymore. Uh, you look down the street and your neighbors, they've bought in a new car, even though their old one was still nicer than the one sitting in your driveway. Maybe your friends are talking about the holiday they're about to go on, yet the only holiday you can afford is to sleep in and have a Netflix marathon. Or maybe you go on social media and you see that all your friends are just moving forward in life. They're getting engaged, they're getting married, they're having kids, they're buying a house. And you're just sitting there complaining and grumbling because it feels like you aren't moving anywhere. You're not doing anything with your life. You're just stuck. But when we allow ourselves to grumble over these things, there are, there are a, a negative ripple effect. Uh, there's been a bunch uh, of research. Some psychologists have looked into the effects. Uh, some of these are up on the screen. You can see, I'll highlight a few of them. One is you attract it. Uh, so the more you grumble, the more, um, it, yeah, just kind of like a, a snowball effect. You grumble once and you grumble again, grumble again. Uh, your relationships with others actually begin to suffer. It uh, prevents you from experiencing the present joys in your own life. You can't even live in the moment anymore. 
uh, and it blinds you from recognizing your own role in the situation as well. And so there's, there's so many, many more. A few of them went uh, onto the screen. But grumbling affects more than just our own self. You, you saw it in these. It actually affects those around us as well. Uh, and so we're looking at this topic. I'm talking about grumbling because we're in, we just started the series last week on this topic, uh, we've, or this series we've called The Power of One. And so we're tracing through the book of Philippians, a book in the New Testament uh, that Paul the author wrote to this church in Philippi. Uh, and it has this overarching theme of unity throughout it. And so Dave kind of opened us up last week uh, of what unity is, and we're asking questions like, is unity even possible? What does that look like? Can we do it in a church where there's so many different cultures and perspectives and viewpoints? Um, and we'll look at things like how can humility and even our own personal suffering can actually help bring us together. Um, and today we're going to be looking at how grumbling or bitterness can make an effect can impact uh, unity with one another. And so uh, we're looking in Philippians 2 right now. Uh, and in this passage, uh, we see this verse, verse 14. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Like, that is crazy. Like, is that even possible? The author, Paul, like, we question him. Like, is that possible? And where do we even start? And I, maybe you read this passage and you're like, well, Paul's probably just chilling in a castle right now. He's probably loaded. He's probably got servants attending to him all the time. He's got no care in the world. Anything he wants, it happens. But the exact opposite tr is true. He's reading this from prison. And no, he's not the guard. No, he's not visiting someone. He himself is actually the prisoner. He's the one that's uh, using the cold, hard floor as a mattress. He's the one that's going to the corner of his cell to use as a bathroom. He's the one who has his skin aggravated uh, by the chains around him. He's the one who barely has anything to drink or to eat. And he's in here, he's in prison, because this is what God told him to do. God told him to preach the gospel. And yet, this is his reward, to be in prison. Like, if anyone has a reason to grumble, it's Paul. And yet here he is telling us in any circumstance, do not grumble. But just this past Monday, uh, I, was, I went downtown and I, I checked out the Raptors parade, got there super early, like 9, 9.30. And I was so excited. You know, I was about to witness history. Uh, and like, who can imagine that? The one year I'm living in Toronto, the Raptors actually went. And yet I'm complaining, I'm grumbling because it got delayed two hours because there's so many people there complaining about the heat, complaining that I don't have any food in me, didn't bring anything with me or any water. And yet my situation is so much better than what Paul had. And yet Paul's the one telling me not to grumble. But as you continue to read uh, this verse, you'll see uh, that you'll see some quotations. It says, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And if you're reading this in your own Bible, you'll see that there's probably like a little asterisk at the end of generation. Um, and if you follow that asterisk to the bottom of your Bible, bottom of your page, there's a reference uh, to Deuteronomy 32.5. And so when I opened up this, uh, this uh, chapter, started to read it, I kind of felt like I was back in school and my friend was getting in trouble by the teacher. Like... In this passage, Moses has written a song towards Israel. It's not a lovey-dovey song. It's kind of like a screamo song, actually. And he's just lambasting the nation of Israel. And so it's like you're sitting there with your teacher uh, 
telling your friend everything that he's done wrong and you're kind of just sitting there trying not to laugh. You're like, oh, dang. Um, that's kind of what it feels like to read this passage. And, he, and Moses calls the nation of Israel, supposed to be God's chosen nation, that they are a crooked, crooked and warped generation. And so to give you a little bit of context of what has happened, uh, Israel, this nation that is uh, said to be God's uh, chosen nation, they've been slaves for the past 400 years in Egypt. And each year it seemed to be getting worse. They had to work harder, uh, just fewer and fewer rights. And so they cried out to God. They lamented to him and they asked for, for a savior. And so God sent them Moses to, uh, to uh, be built up as a leader and to lead them out of Egypt. And so Moses, he goes to Pharaoh, and he, who's the leader of Egypt at this time, and he says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says no. And so God sends a plague uh, and kind of just massive miracle that he performs. <clears throat> and Pharaoh, and so Moses goes back after that, and Pharaoh still doesn't allow them to go. And so this is repeated ten times where Moses goes asks Pharaoh to let his people go. God sends a plague and, and nothing happens. And so eventually on the 10th time, uh, Pharaoh's had enough and he lets Israel go. And Israel, they leave and they head towards uh, a place right by the Red Sea. But they notice that Egypt is coming after them again. Egypt, uh, Pharaoh's like, we've made a mistake. We need our workers. And so Israel starts to freak out. They start complaining and grumbling. They're like, God, why have you just brought us out here just to be taken back? And then God performs another miracle and he parts the Red Sea, allows them to walk through and they get to the other side. The waters come back down and Egypt can't get to them. And then they're stuck kind of in this wilderness. They're heading towards what is called the promised land, this land that God was going to give them where they could start their homes and just be fruitful. And yet they had to, to wander in this wilderness before they could get there. And they complained because they had no sense of belonging. They weren't rooted. They couldn't create homes there. And they didn't even have food. And so they complained. But God sent them manna, food from the sky to nourish them. Um, yet after a while, they started to complain about this manna because they got tired of it. And so what we see here is that they grumble uh, in every situation, so much so that God has had enough and he tells this nation of Israel that you guys will not inherit the, the promised land anymore. Once all of you guys have died and the next generation has been built up, then you guys will go into the promised land. So they grumble themselves out of what they were uh, promised. And I read these stories of Israel and other ones and I'm like, if I was an Israelite at this time, there's no way I would have turned my back on God. I would have, there's no way I would have lost faith. Uh, in God. Yet, I am exactly the same. God has done so many things in my own life. He's performed miracles in front of my own eyes. He saved me from things, called me to things I never thought imaginable. And yet, here I am still grumbling, still complaining, still not having trust in God. Um, even so much so uh, that it's happened in the last 10 months. And so I'm just going to share, yeah, just a little bit of my own story, of my own story of coming to Toronto. And so when I knew it, when I was coming out here, there was going to be challenges. Like I was leaving home. I was leaving all my friends, all my family, all my comforts. And I was coming to a place where I literally knew no one. And I was going to have to restart. And so I knew there was going to be some time just to get adjusted. Um, but it was way harder than I expected. And, you know, my first Sunday I was welcomed. Uh, and I was expecting, you know, a bunch of people to come and introduce themselves, invite me over for dinner. And, you know, I thought my calendar would be full of going over to people's houses. And that's not really what I expected. Um, 
or what, what happened. And so, and then over the next few months, I began to get really lonely. So much so that I wasn't actually looking forward to my birthday at the end of October. Not because I was getting older, uh, but because I thought I was going to have to celebrate uh, by myself. Uh, and so it was a really tough first four months um, where I was counting down the days. I'd look at my calendar in my office and I'd count down the weeks and the days until Christmas because at Christmas I got to go home to Calgary, get to go home to friends and family, people I actually knew had relationships with. And when I got there and I started to talk to my friends and they asked me like, what's Toronto like? What's your experience been like? I literally told them, like, I feel like an Israelite. You know, I've left the place where I've been comfortable um, and I've come to a new place where I feel like I'm just wandering in the wilderness. I don't have a place of belonging. Uh, I don't feel like, yeah, I'm rooted here. I don't, it doesn't feel like home. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't even, yeah, I just don't feel like I belong here. And so it was really tough. And so when I came back a little refreshed and ready to go again, um, over the next few months, a, li a little changes happened here and there, but it was still, I had this sense of, of yeah, just being alone and loneliness. And I started to, to blame the church for this feeling. You know, I was like, the church is supposed to be a place of community, of belonging. Like, this is where I should be feeling connected. And over time, that complaining and that grumbling turned into bitterness. So much so that I actually didn't want to go to anything church-related, unless it had to do with youth. So I didn't want to go to Sunday mornings. I didn't want to go to midweek, midweek things because I just felt let down by the church. And I was complaining towards God because I was like, God, I'm here for you. Why am I having such a bad experience? And so it didn't actually just impact my experience at church, but it impacted other aspects of my life too. I stopped going to the gym partly because, again, it was another place where I didn't feel connected. A lot of familiar faces, uh, but I didn't have any relationship with these people. So I felt lonely there. Uh, I stopped exploring Toronto, stopped going downtown, stopped going on hikes, because it meant, it usually meant I had to do it alone. And then when I would do it, I'd get lonely and just become angry towards the church. Um, and so, yeah, I became yeah, mad and at God for this. And so I sat in this bitterness for about a month. Um, and, and I, yeah, I just, I wanted to sit in there because it was easy. It was nice because I could blame, blame others for how, the way I was feeling. But over time, after about a month passed of actually understanding, you know, I have feelings of bitterness and this is worse than it actually is. Uh, Jesus started to work on my heart. Uh, and one of the first things I had to do was one was come to the terms that this actually was a problem. Like this bitterness was, was a bigger issue than I thought. And two, I had to take my own responsibility and how I was feeling. You know, I did a lousy job of initiating relationships. You know, I made excuses like I'm the new one. They should initiate or I don't have any money. I don't have my own place to live. I made all these excuses that put uh, so that I could blame other people for the way I was feeling. And, and now that I'm moving, uh, once again, I'm terrified. I, I've just taken a job at a church out in BC in Chilliwack. Uh, and I'm terrified to do this all over again. I'm going to a place again. I don't know anyone. And I have to do, go through this all over again uh, of trying to get uh, plugged in and, and feeling uh, a belonging and building relationships once again. And so I am terrified doing, of trying to do this again. And it... Uh, kind of failing and having these feelings of loneliness once again. But what I really realized through this whole, um, this whole time, um, because of my grumbling, I was pushing myself away from the thing I truly desired, which was community. 
And so I ask you this, what are you grumbling about that is pushing you away from the thing you want and the thing you desire? What, are, what is your grumbling pushing you away from that you truly desire in your own life? Before answering this question, um, how do, I'm going to talk about how we don't let ourselves even get to this stage. What does it look like not to grumble? Uh, how do we not become bitter people? And so I'm here to tell you it's not as easy as just not doing it anymore. Uh, a couple years back, I decided I was going to get rid of Instagram because I was spending too much time on it, I felt. Um, and so I deleted it for about a year and I thought this was going to be great. I'm going to have so much more free time. But what I actually realized was I just spent more time on other apps, on other meaningless apps, on other social media. And so just because I cut it out of my life, it was replaced with something just as bad or maybe even worse, you could say. And so I could tell you just to stop grumbling, but you need to actually replace that with something else or else something or it's just going to come back or something else is going to fill it. That is, is just as bad. And so what, so what are we supposed to actually replace this with? Um, we replace it with thankfulness. So as we look at the following verses, uh, 17 to 18, this is what it reads. But, in, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So this is still Paul talking. He's still talking while sitting in prison uh, in this terrible situation. And he's, he's thankful. He's rejoicing. He's celebrating in the things that other people are doing. And so what we see here is even though Paul is coming to the end of his life and he's suffering, we see here that thankfulness is the antidote. To stop grumbling, we need to put thankfulness into our lives. And this seems super easy to do, um, just to be thankful. It's like, oh yeah, just give thanks. But if you're anything like me, it isn't easy to be thankful. I actually suck at it. Um, I honestly feel like I shouldn't be preaching this message. Last week, I was supposed to have my first sermon run through. And Dave pokes his head uh, into the office a few hours before it. And he asked me, how's it going? Expecting me probably to say, good, or we'll see how it goes. But I, I literally said, I have nothing. And like tears started to form and I was like, I can't preach this message. Like you just heard my story. I, I'm coming out of a season of bitterness, of grumbling. Like I have no authority uh, to preach on this. I don't even know how to be thankful. Uh, in my life growing up, uh, giving thanks always seemed like a chore or it seemed awkward. It was like we would go over to some family friends and they'd cook us a meal and my parents would tell me uh, to go say thank you. And so it always felt like it wasn't real. Uh, or like we would say thanks uh, before a meal and, to, and uh, thank God for our food. And that just felt like tradition and it just feels like routine. Even now, I'm, I don't even like praying for, for my meal because it's just what I expect. I've never known not uh, having a meal. And so I just kind of expect food to just be there uh, for my three meals a day. And so maybe you're, you're kind of feeling the same way. Maybe you find uh, showing gratitude, showing appreciation, being thankful uh, as awkward, as weird, as not normal. Maybe even uncomfortable, but guess what? That's actually normal. If you read the Bible, if you hear of any of Jesus' teachings, he only tells us to do things that go against human tendencies, that go against human behaviors. We read things like uh, uh, that we're supposed to forgive others all the time. Uh, be generous with our time and money. Don't worry. Be courageous. Uh, don't care about what other people think. 
Like these are things we all struggle with. And so the only reason God is telling us, that Paul is telling us, that Jesus tells us to be thankful is because it's not normal. Because it goes against what we, uh, our human behavior tells us to do. <coughs> and so if we look around, there are so many people complaining all the time. It can be about politics, uh, work, family dynamics, friends, traffic, uh, the maple leaf sucking once again. You name it. Someone out there has always has something to complain about. Uh, but what, are we not created just to blend in? Were we created just to blend in to, to complain with everyone around us? Or were we created for something else? If we go back to verse 15, uh, it says, uh, after... It says that you will, uh, you won't, sorry. It says, children of God without fault uh, in a warped and crooked generation. You will shine among them like stars in the sky. So we are called to shine like stars in the dark sky. We weren't created just to blend in. We are actually created to be a light. And so during my time at, uh, at Ambrose, I took an elective, uh, astronomy elective, and it was a three-hour Monday night class. And so that kind of sucked, uh, but it was a GPA booster. And so typically what I do is I'd sit in the back of the room and watch Monday night football. But I did end up learning just a tiny bit uh, about the stars in the solar system. And so one thing was about star formation. And what I learned was um, that stars are actually in constant conflict with themselves. So the stars start off as just a bunch of dust and gas, but over time it, it compiles together. Uh, and it collects more and more and becomes even more dense. And eventually, the gravity of it starts to collapse on itself. And if there was nothing to push back, it would actually just continue uh, to collapse for millions of years until it became so small, uh, like an atom or something like that, some sciencey term like that. Uh, but there is a force uh, that's pushing against that. And so when it becomes so dense uh, on the inside, in the core, that energy has to be released. And it's released uh, through light. And so this light uh, shine comes out of the middle and is released. Uh, and that's how we see a star is, is this light energy coming out because of the, the pressure that's coming onto it. And so just like stars, we are in constant conflict. There are always things that we can complain, we can grumble about. We can become like, bitter about. Things that come against us that cause us pain and hurt, hardships, tension. You name it. Uh, it leads us to complaints and grumbling. But just like a star, when these things come against us, we need to push back on what's actually inside of us. If we call ourselves a Christian, we have Christ living in us. Uh, in verse 12, there's a few verses before this. It says to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we're not saying work for, you don't have to do these things just so you can, you know, inherit the kingdom of heaven, so you can go to heaven and whatnot. Uh, it's to work out of what we've already been given. And so God has given us so much. He's given us purpose. He's given us life, joy, hope. You name it, uh, this stuff we've been given. Uh, and it's inside of us. And so when we're thankful, it's like that light pushing outward. Even when the hard things come, there will always be hard things. We can never outthink hardships. Uh, but there will always be things um, that we can be thankful for if we take our eyes off ourselves and, and look back at what Jesus has done for us. And people will actually start to take notice. Uh, it has actually been found, just like how there's negative effects for people who grumble, there's positive uh, effects for those 
who are thankful. It like increases your happiness and improves your relationships. You have a higher self-esteem and it re reduces stress in your life and it can even increase your sleep. And these are all things uh, and so much more that can make us distinct around the people uh, in our world, in our day-to-day, -day, in our offices, or even in our families. Uh, and just like back in the day, people would used to look at the stars as a guide. They would see a star and they would follow it. That would give them direction. Or even, even a few hundred years ago, farmers would look at the stars and that's how they would uh, understand the weather and weather patterns. And so just like that, people will look to us as a guide. When, we, when they see that there's something different, that we're distinct, that we're shining among the darkness, they'll look to us and want to model their life after us. They'll pursue after us. They'll ask questions. They'll want understanding. They'll look to us for help. Um, but you are not alone. You're not the only star. If you look up into the sky, I know it's hard in Toronto with all the pollution. Maybe you've never even seen a star because you never leave this place. But it's amazing when you can see, the, uh, when you can get out of here and there's no light pollution and you can just look up uh, and see all the stars in the sky. And people uh, have created constellations, uh, linked these stars together, and have created stories to go along with them. And these stories, they spark wonder, uh, awe, interest, ask, uh, yeah, they call us into something that's even bigger than ourselves. Uh, and these constellations actually paint a picture for what the church is supposed to be. It's not a bunch of just stars in the sky, but these stars are actually linked together. Uh, a bunch of individuals joining together for the same purpose, to tell the same story, to give hope uh, in the same ways. But people all over the world will see this in different ways. They'll see different stars. They get to experience God in different and unique ways, get to experience the church in different and unique ways, uh, regardless from wherever they're standing from. And it, yeah, we can show off what, what God has given us and wants to give us um, by linking together and being unified. And so this is what Jesus wants for the church. He wants us to be a people that are linked together, that draws people in, that people look to and they want to know more. They, they want just to be in awe and marvel at it and want to know more and come and be involved in it. And so being thankful has many positive ripple effects. And one of them is that it brings us together. And so last week, uh, if you were with us, you would have been given a puzzle piece in Dave's sermon. And so this puzzle piece is, is meant to show us that we're just, yeah, one small piece, a part of a big, beautiful picture. But when we grumble, when we become bitter, it's like we take our own piece and we rip off edges. And so it's not that the, the puzzle in itself is changing, but we've changed uh, the way we interact with others. We change our own situations so that we can no longer fit uh, in the puzzle. Uh, and so that's why we need to, to push away grumbleness, grumbling and to be thankful so we can fit and we can be unified in something bigger than ourselves and show something to the world uh, of what Jesus has to offer them. And so today, maybe you've realized that you are in a season of grumbling, that you've been complaining, that you even got to the point of bitterness. And I'm here to tell you, like, it's time to stop. Like, I'm, I, I was telling Tony the other day, like, I kind of wish I was still in my, my bitterness season because it would have made leaving, uh, leaving to go to, to Chilliwack so much easier because I wouldn't have had so many hard goodbyes to say. But because I'm out of that, I've, had, I've been able to have, you know, enjoy the last few months, been able to build good relationships with people, and my goodbye is actually going to be harder because of it. And so I'm here to tell you, like, it's time to stop. There's so much freedom that comes when we, when we let go and we, and we choose forgiveness and we work through uh, these issues. 
So maybe the first step for you uh, is to actually name what's been going on in your life, to name it as bitterness, as grumbling, as something bigger, even than you wish to admit. And the second is, is probably one of the hardest ones, and you may need to take responsibility for your own actions. Maybe you're mad at an employee uh, for the work that's been done, but yet you gave them a lack of communication of what was expected. Maybe uh, you're mad at your significant other for not making time, yet you haven't been doing the same and been investing in the relationship at the same time. Uh, maybe it's a friend that you're mad at. Maybe some, there's been some distrust in a relationship, and now that distrust you're carrying into other relationships and impacting it negatively. Um, maybe you're mad at the church for not being asked to do things. Uh, maybe you feel like, yeah, you're being passed over, yet you haven't made any initiative to get involved. Maybe you're mad at the multi-site model because your friends are leaving or you're not going to see your pastors as much. Um, but maybe it's because you're too comfortable with where you're at. You don't want things to change. You don't want to have to step up and serve more. Or maybe it's just people in the same row as you that you have this bitterness towards that you need to sort out. And so after knowing this, uh, it's, it's time to forgive. Maybe you can actually forgive that person in, that person, uh, in real life. Maybe you have to do it through prayer. And, this, and maybe you can't even forgive them right now. Maybe you need to ask God for a forgiving heart. Uh, and so this could be, you know, a day, this could be weeks uh, of this process, of this journey. I know it was for me, and it's hard. And it, it is a hard process. It's not going to be easy, but it's totally worth it. Um, because the freedom that comes afterwards is, is so much better than anything that you, you're experiencing now. And so, and then if maybe you don't have anything to work through, or maybe you, once you get through that, it's time to actually... Replace that grumbling with thankfulness. It could be as simple as writing down three things each day. And then maybe uh, going further than that, but, asking, but putting a but at the end. So it's like, I'm thankful for my job. Or why are you thankful for your job, I should say. Instead of a but, a why. Why are you thankful? Because it provides for my, uh, my family. Uh, I have a good relationship with coworkers. It gives me purpose. You just go on and on and on. Uh, and practice this discipline of thankfulness. It's not going to be easy at the start. It probably isn't easy for lots of us. Um, but it is a discipline, and it's something we, we are called to do. And maybe it's even just looking for silver linings in the hardships as well. And so if you've ever looked at any resources online on how to pray, uh, you're almost always guaranteed to find that there's a section in it, usually at the beginning, about, gr of, about gratitude, of, about appreciation, and of, about thankfulness. And so we, this is part of it because it actually orientates us uh, into a proper position because we can be thankful and we could see God for who he truly is. Be thankful for all the things that he's done um, and that all the things that are around us, all the crap, all the, all the burdens that are facing us, they can just kind of fall off. And we can, yeah, reminds us of who God is and who we are in relationship to God as sons and as daughters, as his children. And so, and, and it's through that where we can actually come and have a relationship with God and actually have a conversation um, and be able to work through these things. Um, and so, yeah, where I'm just going to close. I'm going to invite the worship band up and, <clears throat> and I'm just going to close in a time of prayer. So would you join me? Yeah, dear Heavenly Father, yeah, I am so thankful. I am thankful for this church. Um, I'm thank thankful for Upper Room for allowing me just to come to learn, to grow, to fail, 
to mess up um, and to develop me as a leader and as a pastor. Um, and that, yeah, you've surrounded me with, yeah, just an amazing community, even in the times where I didn't see it. So I'm thankful for who you are, <laughs> that you don't give up on us, uh, that you're always there for us, uh, and that you've given us so much to be thankful for, and that we can shine like stars, that we have something so special that people actually will stop and be in awe of it and want to know more about it. So Father, would you just remind us of all the things that we have to be thankful for, uh, would you give us forgiving hearts and would you lead us into action um, and not to sit in our own bitterness and grumbling, but to live out of the things you've given us and to live grateful lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.